You know, there's a lot that can be taken from this Epstein thing, uh, a lot of angles to explore, a lot of lessons to be learned. But here's one right from the top, I think. Um, and this maybe is, is the main lesson. This is what we all can take from it. And that is, and that is uh, don't be a scumbag. You know, don't be a scumbag. Look, look at the reaction to Epstein's death. I mean, the guy died. He, 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 however he died, it was, it was apparently somewhat gruesome. And how has the world reacted to that? Mockery, derision, um, anger, just because, not because, it's not, not, not because we're sad that he's dead, but because he didn't suffer enough and he didn't get to testify against his, uh, against his friends. Certainly no sadness, no mourning of any kind, um, no respect even, and for good reason. Don't take this the wrong way. I'm not sitting here saying that we should be more respectful of the pedophile sex offender because he's dead now. In fact, the whole idea that you know we should have respect for an, an unrespectable person just because they happen to die, to me, has never made a lot of sense. Um, he's getting exactly the reaction he deserves. But that shows you something, doesn't it? It shows you. I, he, he lived his life with no concern for basic human dignity. Um, he had his sick, twisted fun in, in whatever way he wanted to have it. And all of that went away in the blink of an eye. And now he's a cold, lifeless corpse that was found on the floor of a jail cell. And the whole world now is spitting on his grave. And for as long as he is remembered at all, he will be remembered only as a profoundly evil, degenerate dirtbag. And that's all his legacy is going to be. And the most significant thing about his life is going to be his death. Um, only because we're trying to figure out how it happened. That's It shows you the futility of evil, doesn't it? This guy had his glamorous private islands and his, uh, his jets and all of that kind of stuff. But then all of that was gone in an instant. And his body was just laying there on the cold cement floor. And people spent the weekend making fun of his suicide or apparent suicide with internet memes. It's just not worth it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Being evil is just not worth it in the end. The trade-off isn't worth it. So I think that's the first lesson. Don't be a scumbag. That's what we hopefully we can all take from this and say, gee, uh, I, you know, maybe I don't want to be a scumbag, um, as it turns out. But there's a lot more to be said. And um, as we look at the latest on the Epstein case and we try to figure out what happened, why it happened, how it happened, what it all means, and we'll get into that in just a second. But first, um, you know, it's, it's summer and uh, we all know what that means. You've got flies and insects invading your home like, a, like, a, like an army take, trying to take over, set up fort in your house. And who knows where all those insects and everything were last. They, they, they're, now they're crawling all over your counter and your food. Who knows where they were before that? That's how germs are spread. That's how disease is spread. And that's why we'd like to thank our sponsors over at Dynatrap. Dynatrap is the leading manufacturer of outdoor mosquito and insect traps. And now they're coming inside. They've got a solution for indoor pests as well, which to me is the main place where I really am worried about them because uh, I'm a shut-in. I spend all my time inside anyway. So that's I need to make sure that, that none of those outside creatures make it in here. The Dynatrap Flylight is what you need. The Dynatrap Flylight works day and night to um, attract and trap flies, fruit flies, mosquitoes, other pesky insects, and, you know, it really does work. Forget those disgusting fly strips, any of that the primitive ways of dealing with insects. Forget about that. Uh, Dynatrap Flylight looks like a subtle nightlight 
that plugs into any indoor outlet. Trust me, I've been using this thing, uh, the Dynatrap Fly Light, for a while now, and it absolutely works. So get yours at Dynatrap.com. That's D-Y-N-A-T-R-A-P.com. Enter the promo code Walsh and receive 15% off any of their products. Dynatrap, the safe, silent, simple solution to household insect control. Okay, so the latest in the Epstein case. We know that he died on Friday, of course, as you've heard, just hours after thousands of pages of his case files were released to the public, files that implicate some of the most powerful and richest people on earth, including uh, apparently Prince Andrews, uh, Prince Andrew, I should say, Andrews. Prince Andrew has mentioned other famous rich people, not always by name. Um, but hours after that, he's dead. And now we're being told by the, uh, by the prison in New York, where he was kept, that he was taken off of suicide watch a few weeks ago, even though apparently he allegedly tried to kill himself earlier um, last month. He was on suicide watch. They took him off of it. And now we're told that there's no video of the alleged suicide, conveniently, because the camera uh, wasn't trained into his cell. They've got video maybe that shows uh, the comings and goings outside of the cell, but there's no video of the cell itself. And we're told that his cellmate, who he did have a cellmate apparently, but his cellmate was transferred out of his cell hours before he died, before Epstein died. And we're told that prison guards were supposed to check on Epstein every 20 minutes, but they hadn't checked on him for several hours leading up to his death. So a lot of coincidences going on here. You know, we've got the release of the documents. We've got, he's taken off a suicide watch inexplicably. Cellmate is transferred out. They don't check on him. And now he's dead. And that's why, and look, I know that we're being lectured by the media not to engage in conspiracy theories. There's been a lot of that by the media saying, oh, it's irresponsible. Irresponsible to talk about conspiracy theories. There is nothing crazy or irresponsible about wondering whether the official narrative is actually true, especially because there really isn't an official narrative yet. I mean, well, the official narrative, I guess, is that he committed suicide, but uh, there's not a lot. There's not much else to it. We know that Epstein was a pimp to some of the most powerful people on the planet. We know that. Okay, that's not. A, it's not a theory. We know that. We know that those people, obviously, whoever his clientele uh, consisted of. These are people who, by definition, were sex abusers and child rapists. And we also know that they probably didn't want to be exposed as such. And we know, we can assume anyway, that if you're willing to rape kids, if you're willing to fly around the, the world with a sex trafficker and, uh, and uh, molest and abuse and rape children all across the globe, you probably will have no moral compunctions about killing a witness especially when the witness is a scumbag himself. I mean, compared to, I mean, really, if you're, if you're one of these uh, rich, wealthy child rapists, you might as well kill Epstein. You're already, it's, I mean, your ticket to hell is already booked anyway. I mean, what's the, what's the difference, considering all the other bad things you've done? Um, so we know all that. So it's certainly not at all unreasonable in the slightest bit to think that they would want to off this guy to keep him quiet. It just makes, of course they would. Powerful criminals kill or attempt to kill witnesses all the time. So the people that are acting like this is some guy, conspiracy theory, 
What do you think witness protection is? Why do you think that exists? It's because if you're gonna if you're gonna turn witness against uh, some high-ranking criminal of some kind, you know, a mob boss, for instance, uh, then they might want to take you down. So you've got to be protected. The people that that Epstein was uh, gallivanting around with, these people were far more powerful than some mob boss in New Jersey. So this isn't, this, we're not talking faked moon landings and lizard people here, okay? This is a logical thought process. And I don't know, you know, I don't know what happened to him. Neither do you. Nobody does right now, or at least the people who do know aren't, aren't saying so. All I know is that a global sex trafficker with rich and powerful clients died in his cell under very mysterious circumstances. That's what I know. Uh, was it a conspiracy? Well, it sure as hell could have been. Now, I will say this, though. Over the weekend, uh, folks on the right, spent their time blaming uh, Bill Clinton and the, Hillary Clinton, the Clintons in general. There was hashtag Clinton body count was trending on Twitter. And then people on the left were blaming Trump and saying hashtag Trump body count. It was just this back and forth. I'll say right now that you don't have to be a fan of either of those people. I mean, whether you're, if you don't have to be a Clinton fan, you don't have to be a Trump fan. Um, from a purely nonpartisan perspective, uh, I, I find it very difficult to believe that either of them had anything to do with this. And here's why. The Clintons are a joke now. Uh, so the people that say, oh, the Clintons are everywhere, killing cl- killing witnesses, you, you almost give them too much credit. I'm not saying that they wouldn't do that if they had the chance, but um, these are totally morally bankrupt individuals, of course. But you, you, they, you are giving them way more power than they actually have. The Clintons, right? The Clinton machine basically doesn't exist anymore. It's defunct. Um, and they just, they don't have a lot of power. I mean, who, if who's, who's going to listen to Bill Clinton? If Bill Clinton comes along and says, yeah, you need to kill this guy. Why should I do that? What are you going to do? What, what do you have over me? Uh, so I don't think Clinton has that kind of power. And Trump, again, you, you know, yeah, if you're a Trump fan, you're going to say, ah, he would never do that. But even if you're not a Trump fan, um, Trump hardly has control over his own White House. He, he can't stop the leaks and everything coming from his own White House. So you think he can, you think he'd be able to arrange something like this? No. Um, in both cases, there are people in this world far, far, far richer and far, far, far more powerful than either Trump or Clinton. And yeah, I know that Trump is president of the United States, ostensibly, allegedly the most powerful person in the world because of that, but he's really not. And this is not, again, this is, you know, we're not talking lizard people here. Okay. It's just, it's, it's a fact that, um, an American politician, even the president, he's in office for four to eight years, eight years at most, then he's gone. He's, he's a politician. He doesn't have, uh, he doesn't rule over his, his, his massive bureaucratic government with an iron fist. He can't control everything that the government does. Um, there are people in the world a lot more powerful than that. You know, if you are, I mean, Jeff Bezos, the, the Amazon, the guy's worth like $100 billion. Do you know, do you know how much power $100 billion can buy you? And I'm not implicating Jeff Bezos here, by the way. I'm just an example of a more powerful person. Um, and uh, and so I, if this was some kind of conspiracy, if this was a hit carried out on a famous inmate, in federal prison, if it was, if it was, could have been, we don't know. 
The person responsible is probably a very, very, very wealthy and very, very powerful person. Um, and it could quite likely be someone who's, who's you know, so rich and powerful that you don't even know their name. You know, not, not like a celebrity. We're not talking celebrity rich and powerful. We're talking about above that. And we'll probably never know who they are. And, that, and that's like the unfortunate reality of the situation. They're, they're probably never going to be held accountable for it. There is another possibility, though. Um, of course, there's, there's this conspiracy possibility. Uh, but there's there's more than that, um, and there's there's the other. There's the more boring possibility. I want to talk about that in a second. But before we go any further, uh, I want to thank our friends at Bowl and Branch. You know, we're never going to be able to agree on to agree on everything or really anything as a society, except for this that we could all use more. That sleep is great, first of all, and we could all use more of it. Getting a great night's sleep is easier than ever thanks to the world's softest sheets, brought to you by Bowl and Branch. Everything Bowl and Branch makes, from bedding to blankets is made from pure 100% organic cotton, which means they start out super soft and they only get softer over time. Everyone who tries Bowl & Branch loves them. That's why they, you can go check for yourself. They have thousands of five-star reviews. So believe the people. Listen to what the people have to tell you. The sheets are even loved by three U.S. presidents. They want you to love your, your purchase too. So they'll offer you a no-risk 30-day trial and free shipping. Uh, but you know, it's that's not going to matter because you're not going to want to send these things back. Once you sleep on their sheets, you aren't going to want to sleep on anything else. So to get you started right now, my listeners, get $50 off your first set of sheets at bowlandbranch.com, promo code MATT. Go to bowlandbranch.com today for $50 off your first set of sheets. That's bowl, B-O-L-L, and branch.com, promo code MATT. bowlandbranch.com, promo code MATT. All right, uh, so we've covered the conspiracy angle of this, and that is, uh, it, yes, it is a conspiracy theory, but it's a perfectly reasonable one. The other possibility. This is now, and this is according to the most boring possibility law, or theorem, whatever you want to call it, which is a law that I just made up. Uh, and this law states that the answer to every mystery is always the most boring possible answer. If you're trying to explain something and you survey five different possibilities uh, for answers or or 50 different possible answers, the answer is going to be the most boring of the five or the 50. And that's how you can figure it out. Just which one is the most boring and the most mundane? Okay, that's going to be the answer. This is basically Occam's razor is what I'm talking about here. A version of that. And the most boring, mundane possibility here is that he really killed himself um, and he wasn't able to do it by government incompetence. Um, Murder is a very real possibility, but I think the most likely explanation is that plain old government incompetence is to blame. That's that's the most likely explanation. It's not hard to see why Epstein would want to kill himself. He lived his life of luxury. Now he's facing the rest of his life in a you know eight foot wide cell, um, and so his his desire to kill himself isn't surprising. What's surprising is that he was able to do it, but and in order for him to be enabled to do it, there would need to be a lot of incompetence, an enormous amount of incompetence, not just your average amount of government bureaucratic incompetence, but but like severe stage four incompetence um, because you've got the most important inmate in the whole federal prison system, arguably, 
He has information on a vast pedophilia network that spans the globe, um, implicating hundreds of powerful people. You know he wants to kill himself. You know other people would probably want to kill him. Uh, and, and, and so all you need to do to prevent that is watch him. And he's not going anywhere. It's not like you're, you're, you're trailing him or something uh, in a car, right? He's just he's sitting in a cell for 23 hours a day. All you have to do is watch him. And you can use cameras, too, to do it. Yet they, they couldn't do that. That is extraordinary incompetence. But is it easy to believe that our government would be that incompetent, would be so extraordinarily incompetent they could somehow botch this? Yeah, it's easy to believe. Our government is certainly capable of that level of incompetence. And, uh, and that's, you know... That, that, this is one of the reasons why um, I usually reject a lot of conspiracy theories about how the government staged the moon landing or planned 9-11 or whatever. Well, because most of the time there's no evidence for it. And in fact, all of the evidence goes the other direction. So that's one reason not to believe those kinds of conspiracies. But also, if you understand how our government works, it's just it's impossible to believe that they could pull off a vast, far-reaching conspiracy with, and everybody remains silent. Everyone cooperates, like staging a moon landing, for instance. Um, if you think about how many people in government would have to be involved in that, would have to cooperate and, re- and, and stay on task and remain uh, quiet about it, keep it a secret. It's just, it's, there's no way. There's no way our government could ever do that. It's just, it's not going to happen. Um, again, you really give them too much credit. I almost would like, it, it would almost be more impressive, actually. That's the thing. It would be more impressive if our government pulled off a fake moon landing than if they actually just went to the moon. Actually going to the moon would be so much easier than faking it. Um, so, and which kind of goes back to an Occam's razor type of thing. So you've got to keep the incompetence in mind. It is, it is perfectly easy to believe that they just botched this. Yeah. Somehow they, they managed to pulling, pulling, uh, you know, a, a, a defeat from the jaws of victory type of thing. Could have easily been that, but whether it was incompetence or, uh, a conspiracy or whatever it was, or, you know, a combination of them, um, because there is a, there is a possible combination sort of thing where Epstein did kill himself, but you know, the prison guards looked the other way, either because they just wanted to, because they hate him, or because they were paid off or whatever. Again, these are just possibilities. Who knows? Of all, whatever, whatever it is, whatever the explanation is, and, and as I said, I don't, I don't think we're ever going to find out, but so whatever it is, it's always going to be speculative and, and, and theoretical. But whatever it is, the most depressing thing is that it just goes to show once again um, that the elites in this country are above the law. A lot of powerful people are probably going to escape prosecution now like they always do. It was, it, it was always almost too good to believe. Not that this pedophilia network existed, but that they were actually going to be taken down. You think, okay, they got, they got a guy like Epstein how often do you arrest someone like that? 
And you think, are they finally now going to be able to take down some of these powerful scumbags for once? Well, no, apparently not. And they, these people maintain their untouchability, both through active efforts on their part, and also by exploiting and relying on the incompetence of government. So whatever the explanation is, it's more of the same. And we tell ourselves this story um, in this country about we the people and, and the people have the power, right? That's the story we tell ourselves. That's the, that's the myth. That's the great American myth. And it is a myth because in the end, in the end, here, you or I, if we commit a crime, it doesn't matter what the crime is. It could be a crime way, way, way less severe than what these people with Epstein were doing. But you or I commit a crime, we're going to jail. Uh, but if you're, you know, a billionaire, if you're well connected, it really doesn't matter what you do. And this isn't just America. It's been this way across the world. It's been this way since the dawn of time. It, it's, it's been this way everywhere, all the time. The difference is we like to think it's different here. Like we've, a, we've set up a system that is impervious to that. But it's not. I, think it's the, I still think it's the best possible system. Of all of, the, of all of the bad options, it's the best one. But this fact remains the same, that not everybody is subject to the law. And, you know, it, it's that recognition that we all have about the just inherent unfairness of, of the system. That's what leads a lot of people to come up with these conspiracy theories. E- even, the, even the conspiracy theories that are crazy and stupid, um, even those, I think... There are otherwise intelligent people who buy into some of those, even though they should know better. There are otherwise intelligent people who buy into those because they have so little faith in the government. And we all have so little faith. That's why, you know, you hear Epstein died and immediately almost everyone thought the same thing. Because we just have so little faith in our system. All right. Um. So apparently, moving on here, the, this past week was the fifth anniversary of Ferguson. You may remember Ferguson, leftists rioted and, and the media encouraged the riots over a false narrative after a thug who robbed a convenience store tried to kill a cop and was, it was shot in self-defense. Um, you remember that, I'm sure. Well, some prominent Democrat presidential candidates decided to observe this solemn anniversary by blatantly lying about it. What else is new? Repeating debunked claims and stirring up racial hatred. Um, let me read a couple of these, uh, these, uh, statements put out on Twitter, um, by Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren. Kamala Harris said, Michael Brown's murder forever changed Ferguson in America. His tragic death sparked a desperately needed conversation and a nationwide movement. We must fight for stronger accountability and racial, racial equity in our justice system. Um, and then Elizabeth Warren says five years ago, Michael Brown was murdered by a white police officer in Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, Michael was unarmed, yet he was shot six times. I stand with activists and organizers who continue to fight for justice for Michael. We must confront uh, systemic racism and police violence head on. This is what, what both of these women have done here. I know we're used to it now, but it's 
it would be difficult to overstate just how dishonest and cynical and despicable those statements are that I just read. Calling it a murder. Not just that, but also libelous. If I was, uh, what was the officer's name? Darren, Darren Wilson. If I was Officer Wilson, I'd be suing both of these people. This is this is this is slanderous. They both know. Okay, I'll tell you right now, Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris, unlike maybe some of their stupid followers, these women themselves, they're smart enough to know and they're plugged in and they know that what they just said was a lie. He was not murdered. And that and that fact has been established beyond any reasonable doubt. There have been multiple investigations on the state and federal level. Under the Obama administration and Eric Holder that determined that this was not murder. This was not racism. This was not a hate crime. This was not murder. The grand jury investigation determined that. An investigation by the DOJ. Once again, the DOJ under Eric Holder and Obama investigated this. And even they, now they would have loved to find a reason to say that this was a hate crime. This was whatever. They would love, they would have, they were hoping they were begging to find that evidence and even they couldn't find it because all of the evidence went to vindicate Darren Wilson. Let's go over the facts again. Um, and this is just off the top of my head because, you know, I, I remember this. And so I know that these two people remember it. Michael Brown and his uh, friend went to a convenience store and robbed the place for no reason, just for fun. It was a strong arm robbery. They're on video. They Michael Brown grabs the store clerk by the shirt collar or the neck, shoves him to the side, assaults him, walks out after stealing whatever he stole, some some minor thing. Again, there was no even reason to do it. it just, he, he, they were just looking to to uh, to be thugs. They were just looking to to bully this guy, and then, and, then, and then they stroll out of there, and and uh, uh, Officer Wilson tries to stop them. Uh, at which point. As Officer Wilson's trying to get out of his car, he is basically shoved back into the car. The door is slammed shut. Uh, uh, Michael Brown attacks Officer Wilson while Wilson's still in the car. Starts attacking him, um, hitting him, tries to reach for the gun. The gun goes off. He runs away. Officer Wilson, Wilson tells him to stop. He stops and starts charging at Officer Wilson. And uh, even after even after he's hit a couple times, as Officer Wilson's shooting at him in self-defense, he still keeps charging. And then finally, he takes a shot to the head, and he dies. That's what happened. And that's not my version. Okay, that's not a, it's not even really a theory of the crime, which which wasn't a crime. That's that is what happened. That is again that's the result of two different investigations on the state and local le- or the federal and local level. That is corroborated by eyewitness testimony and forensic and physical evidence. You know, they've got the the gun residue, they've got DNA evidence, they've got witnesses, all of that all together confirms and establishes uh, this version of events. That Michael Brown was the aggressor, that he was trying to when you're trying to take a gun from a cop, that's you're trying to kill him. He has, he has certainly every right to assume in that case that you want to kill him. 
And so he is going to use whatever force necessary to stop that, just like anyone else would. So Officer Wilson was in a fight for his life against this person. Michael Brown's death, it's not a tragedy, actually. Um, it, it's it's, a, it's a, a travesty in the sense that he threw his own life away. But this was a criminal, this was a violent criminal uh, who, who brought about his own demise. So no, that's not some sort of national tragedy where we all go into mourning that this guy died. That's his fault. This was a violent, dangerous person who went out of his way. I mean, he was going out of his way. That It's like he woke up that day and said, you know what? I'm just going to be violent and cause trouble with whoever I see. That's what I'm going to do today. Well, you know what? When you wake up in the morning and that's your intention, you might end up dead. That's, and, and I'm sorry. I'm not going to go to sleep at night crying over it. The saddest thing about the Ferguson case was not what happened to Michael Brown, who again was the aggressor, was trying to kill someone and was rightly killed in the process. And it is totally 100% his fault. The most tragic thing, the saddest thing is what happened to to Officer Wilson. His life was destroyed over this. Harris and Elizabeth Warren both know everything that I'm saying right now. They know that. In fact, there was a tweet uh, that I found from Elizabeth Warren back five, five, four, four or five years ago, whenever it was, saying that, uh, you know, she, she, she's grateful that the DOJ is investigating the Ferguson case because she wants to get straight answers. Well, then guess what? They investigated and they came up with straight answers and they released their report and they said, yep, yeah, look, we've looked at the forensics. We've, we've talked to the witnesses. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, this was not, this was not murder. That was the straight answer. Well, I guess apparently Elizabeth Warren, she didn't like the straight answers that she got. What an absolute fraud these people are. I mean, what manipulative, disgraceful, despicable frauds these people are. They are not saying this in a vacuum. You know, they they know what the atmosphere is. They know about the racial tensions in this country. And they would throw that in. This is like it's like it's like throwing a, a stick of dynamite into a, in a you know just opening the a door and just throwing in dynamite, not knowing who's in there. It's like, hey, whatever. Absolutely disgusting. Um, and by the way, as far as the witnesses go, there were witnesses that whose testimony lined up completely with the forensic evidence. And those are witnesses who you know are reliable. Uh, and there were also witnesses who originally said that they, they these were the ones who came up with the hands up, don't shoot thing, which was a total lie. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. The people who invented that and it was invented, they recanted it and admitted that they lied. So the original few witnesses who started this whole thing by claiming, by making up this whole myth- mythological scenario that never really happened, they recanted and somehow the media missed this. Where they, they said they, they, they didn't make, that didn't happen. All right. Um, let's go to emails. MattWalshShow at gmail.com. MattWalshShow at gmail.com. This is from Lawrence. Says, Matt Epstein wasn't protected by the government because the government killed him. He had information on high-ranking government officials. That's why they arranged his murder. Well, you see, Lawrence, see, this, this is... 
I think this is how you differentiate between a sort of reasonable theory, which may be a conspiracy, and the kind of unreasonable and reckless conspiracy theorist stuff, where I think you're, you're more on the unreasonable and reckless, because what you're doing here is you're just stating as fact. I mean, you, as far, you have no information. I mean, if you have information, then talk to the FBI or talk to somebody. Don't just email uh, me about it. But see, this is what this this is where conspiracy theorists do annoy me, where they just say, uh, they just state, like, this is what happened. Yep. 9-11 was an inside job. I know it. I just do. You know, I know. Uh, I, uh, that's this is this is it. This is the thing. You, you can't say that. Um, so uh, I, I think we do have to be careful there. Just stating when we don't know what happened, you can't just come up with your own version and say that it, that's how it happened. You have, no, you have no evidence. What we have here are a bunch of gaps in the official story. And there are a lot of gaps. I fully admit that. And so you can come up with theories. You can come up with possibilities of how we might fill in those gaps. But the whatever possibility you come up with in your head, the existence of the gap does not in itself prove your theory. Because there are a million other other possibilities. Um, this is from Oportus. I am a 19-year-old conservative man, and I listen to your podcast every day. I want to get married early, around 23, 24, but my family is more liberal and tells me that I am insane. So that's nice of them. I also say that I don't want to live with my girlfriend and remain celibate until marriage. Um, I assume you mean you want to remain celibate? You don't want to live with your girlfriend anyone. Uh, what are some good arguments that could be made for not sleeping with your girlfriend until marriage and also not to live together as well? People seem to dismiss these ideas way too quickly, in my opinion, and ridicule others who want or try to live up to these standards. Well, Oportus, if that's your real name, I think the first argument you should present in favor of this choice of yours is that it's your life and this is how you want to live. Liberals are, if your family are, are liberals, liberals are supposed to respect that argument. I mean, that's really the only argument they respect. It's the only argument they ever make for anything. So you should be able to say, you know, I, I don't care if you if you agree. This, this is what I want to do. They should respect that. Aside from that, I think there are a lot of really good, logical, practical reasons not to live together before marriage. And you don't, you don't even need to invoke morality or bring the Bible into it. Um, I've written about this at length elsewhere, but just to be very brief here. First of all, despite common claims... A marriage is not something you can try out or try on. Um, the thing that defines a marriage, that makes it a marriage, is not your physical proximity to the other person, although that's part of it, that's a feature. But the defining aspect of marriage is the bond, the union, the commitment that you make to each other. Therefore, by definition, you can't try out a commitment. It's, you're either committed or you're not. There's no, hey, let's see what it's like if we're committed to each other. Because it, if, if that's what you're doing, then that's not, by definition, that's not a commitment. That is, that's a preliminary sort of investigation. So uh, you're either committed or you're not. Also, I find that people who live together before marriage tend to be looking for the wrong things. Um, what you want in your marriage is 
someone who you love, who you trust, who you respect, very important. Um, in fact, I, I would underscore that 10 times, uh, underline it 10 times and, and circle it because respect in America on both from both the husband and wife is, is so important. And I think what you find in a lot of marriages that fall apart, it's that both spouses just stop respecting each other. And if you don't respect your spouse anymore, it, it, your marriage is on life support. Your marriage is doomed, really. If you don't, because it's very hard. If you don't respect someone, it's it's very hard to conjure respect, and it's very hard to remain married to someone you don't respect. I would imagine. So respect is really important. Um, so you have that. You have love, trust, respect. Um, and then also, I, I think you, you need to share common goals and and values. You don't have to have everything in common. And that's sort of my point here, but just on a really basic level, I think you have to have some, there has to be some commonality. If you have all of those pieces, uh, then you're golden. Maybe not golden. Now you're still going to have struggles and marriage can still be difficult at times. And so you're, you're still going to have to work through it, but that's all you need to take the plunge. And you can know all of that about someone. You can figure all of that out. I really believe you can figure that out uh, if you're an adult. Now, you know, if you're 14 years old dating a, you know, your, your girlfriend who's who's your fellow sophomore in high school, then it's a different story. But if you're an adult dating someone, everything I just mentioned, I think you can figure that out in like three weeks. It, it really doesn't take much time of getting to know someone and talking to someone. I'm not saying you should get married after three weeks, but I think it's. I I really believe, and if, you, if this was the case for me, and you talk to a lot of people who've, who've been married a while, a lot of them are going to tell you that yeah, I you know I knew within weeks. This isn't love at first sight. Love at first sight, of course, is doesn't exist either because there's no way just by look. I mean, literally at first sight. I remember the first time that I saw my now wife when I was meeting her up for our first uh, you know date, and I, I remember that seeing her, and I was attracted to her. But when you when you when a, as a guy you first see a woman your first thought's gonna be like oh wow she's hot but but that's it's not love There's, you can't know anything else about them just by looking at them um, but uh, I think very quickly you can get to know them and uh, once you know that then then that's all you need to know living with them only is gonna tell you about lesser peripheral things like their habits their annoying quirks and so on but everybody has habits and quirks and you shouldn't need to know what those are before you get married. Because if you do, if, if, if you're saying, well, I got to know all that stuff too before I get married, then you're never going to marry anyone because everybody has stuff like that. So I, th- I think cohabitation emphasizes the wrong things. If you say, I got to live with someone for, for two years before I marry them, I think you got to ask yourself, like, what is it about them you're trying to find out that you don't already know? Finally, I think there's something to, be, something to be said, a lot to be said, I think, for the unknown in getting married, the excitement, the risk. I think when you live together for you know six years and then you get married, you lose almost all of that excitement, that, that, that feeling that you're really striking out, starting a new phase of life together. Um, I think especially in the beginning, that's so important to have that common feeling and that sense. Uh, it's a little scary, but I, I think it's important to have it. 
if you if you've already been living together for six seven years and then you get married, then your first day of marriage feels just like a normal Tuesday. Uh, it doesn't doesn't you know it doesn't really it's because it's just basically the same thing you've been doing all along. Uh, nothing's really changed in terms of your everyday lifestyle. So I think all of those um, reasons are good reasons to not live together before marriage. Uh, let's see. One more is from Katie says, hi, Matt, you asked for disturbing movies. We wish we could unsee. Mine is definitely Pulp Fiction. The scene, in quotes, the scene in that movie is etched forever in my memory. And I know what scene you're talking about. We all, we all know the scene in Pulp Fiction. Uh, yeah, we were talking about this on Twitter a few days ago. I was, I don't remember how it came up, but I asked, um, what, what's a movie that you've seen that was so disturbing, horrifying, depressing that you wish you could unsee, like you actively wish that you could unsee, you could erase it from your memory. A movie that, that you you feel like changed you for the worse and you'll never be the same because you saw it. Uh, and that, that question on Twitter got like 5,000 responses from people. And I think it backfired because I, I I read through not all of the responses, but I read through some of the thread and I actually found that I was intrigued by a lot of the movies people were mentioning. They said, oh, I, I watched this movie. Never watch this movie. You'd never watch it. You'll never be the same. And now I'm thinking, now I got to kind of watch that movie. I'm, I'm just so curious. I got to watch it. So I feel like I'm going to traumatize myself now even more. Um, but yeah, it, Pulp Fiction. I actually like Pulp Fiction. I don't know why I like Pulp Fiction. Um, it, 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 you know, if you described Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction to someone who's, who hasn't seen it, it, it wouldn't sound like a good movie and maybe it's not, but there is something I think engaging, not about that, that particular scene I agree is disturbing, but aside from that, I think it's an interesting movie. Um, but I do, uh, the movie that I, that I nominated as a movie that I wish I could unsee is a movie called, I'm, I'm hesitant to tell you because I don't want you to go watch it out of curiosity, but it's a movie called Funny Games. If anyone ever suggests that you watch Funny Games, uh, don't watch it. That, that's one that I, it's just a vile, disgusting movie that shouldn't exist. And I, I watched it years ago, and I, I still think about it frequently. And, um, and especially now that I have kids, for reasons that I won't go into, um, based on what's in that movie. And I wish I could unsee it. The thing is, there's a, when I was younger, I used to have, a pretty high tolerance for disturbing and grotesque movies. And as I've gotten older though, and talking to some people as we were discussing this on Twitter, there are a lot of people that have gone through a similar thing where for some reason, when you're younger, you kind of, you know, you're, you're more into watching those kind of kinds of movies and it doesn't bother you as much. But as you get older, you just see how absurd it is. Like if I'm going to go watch a movie and I'm not saying that every movie I watch has to be happy-go-lucky, you know, tearjerker, happy ending. I'm not saying that at all. But the experience of being viscerally disturbed, right? Why would I go seek out that experience? That's another reason why I don't really watch horror movies anymore. Because why, like, what's, why would you want to feel that way? To feel horrified, terrified, disturbed, it's not an enjoyable sensation. And there's, and there are some, and maybe this is why as you get older, you, you have less of an appetite for it because you see more of the world and you realize that there are so many disturbing and horrifying things actually happening in the world. There's no reason why I have to go seek out fake versions of it too. I can just turn on the news if I want to be disturbed. Um, but if I'm going to watch something fictional, then I want there to be a little bit more to it. 
There could be disturbing elements of it, but I don't want that to be the whole point. Um, so, yeah, it's a, that's an interesting. But if you have your own nominations, you can email those. Movies that you wish you could unsee. Um, all right, we will, we'll leave it there. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Godspeed. If you prefer facts over feelings, if you aren't offended by the brutal truth, if you can still laugh at the nuttiness filling our national news cycle, well, tune on in to The Ben Shapiro Show, where you'll get a whole lot of that and much more. We'll see you there.